0: Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg, and I'm very excited to, uh, to talk to our guest today, Ronald Wimberly. Some of the highlights uh, from his publishing career is comic side of things, Sentences the Life of M.F. Grimm, uh, Prince of Cats, oh, She-Hulk, Lighten Up, um, Black History in Its Own Words, two issues of the Oversized Lab magazine published by Beehive Books, and I make mention of Beehive Books because your upcoming uh, Kickstarter is going to be published by Beehive Books, Grattonin. Uh, we're gonna be bouncing all over the place today, Ron. But uh, man, I'm excited to sit down and talk talk comic shops with you. How you doing? Welcome
1: to Cartoonist Cafe. Um. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I'm really, I'm really excited. Really happy, man. I'm, I'm good. It feels like today may be uh, a whisper of spring in New York. You know, in Brooklyn here. So I'm feeling great. You know, I got my uh, bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll and my coffee. So I'm, I'm ready to talk now. You know.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. We've had, uh, you know, I'm in Pittsburgh and it's the same deal. Like winters are long and gray and mm-hmm. we had our little blast of spring this weekend. It's raining today now, but uh, your <laughs> space looks well lit. That's a nice, uh, yeah. makes an artist yeah. envious. Oh,
1: oh yeah. Well, you know what? Like that makes me thankful because today the weather is nice, but the sun isn't that great in here, particularly today. Some days it's like I have a little a reading spot on my couch i've been bad with my time management lately so i haven't had a chance to sit there and read but like there's a nice little the sun comes in in the morning and i can go there and like sit down yeah i am blessed i am blessed thanks for helping me remember that
0: (laughs) (laughs) good place to start um so gratin let's uh Mm. let's begin with this new project um Mm. you know i've seen a little bit of information on it
1: and it sounds fascinating do you want to describe that for everybody yeah sure um Gratnin is, uh, it started out as a webcomic on Steela. Um, actually, Gratnin is a little bit older than that. I guess we could get into that too. Uh, the latest iteration started out as a webcomic I made for Steela. Um, I got it back, then I put it out on Webtoon. Um, it was designed originally for, it was designed for the infinite scroll. I don't know, I, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, I'm getting into the form of it, <laughs> but like, it's about, it's about ninjas, it's about a young group of ninjas that are uh, part of a, a, a group, um, a, a family, that um, in order for them to maintain their space in Brooklyn, they uh, recruit three new young ninja because they're about to get moved off their land by eminent domain. So in order to, in order to stay there, they recruit three new recruits so that the ninja union, there's a ninja union, um, fights on their behalf you know, to, to keep them in their historical home in Gowanus, Brooklyn we pick up with these three ninja um, going against the, um, the guidance of their their teachers to uh, fight crime in the street um, and they find uh, they find that it's a little more complicated than that. So it's, it's a little bit of a um, it's a bit of a uh, it's like Naruto like a, a socially um, aware Naruto. I guess Naruto is also about, restorative justice. Both Naruto and my comic are about restorative justice. Don't at me. <laughs> Man, that's
0: that's awesome. Um, So you're going to do a print edition. So translating yes. this from, like, I think of them as phone comics, you know, mm-hmm. I, I screen comics, digital comics, web comics, a lot of words Power here. It's
1: probably the best way. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because, uh, you know, Webtoons, you mentioned migrating it to Webtoons. And I mean, clearly that's an app for reading comics on the phone screen which i think is a little bit different and uh the adaptation from phone screen to print yeah. this
1: seems like a challenge and yeah.
0: i can't wait to see what you're doing with this
1: you know like from the very beginning i was working on that i was in Angoulême, right i think the first issue when i first started on it and i had a bit of a format change in how I was working. So like I had a big light table at at It changed the way I work, you know, comics. Um, And I was thinking, well, I'll draw these like traditional pages, then I'll break them out of that and then put them into the the screen format um, and maybe adjust things a little bit. I did that for one issue, right? For like (laughs) one sequence Then I was like, no, I have to work in that mode. So the first issue kind of was Written and drawn as a comic, you know, like a, a, a bound comic. Then from there, I started to think about the screen in the production. And for that reason, uh, when we came to the, when we decided to print, I was like, well, we, it, the printing needs to reflect at least somewhat um, the original format, you know, meaning like the verticality of it, you know. Um, originally, I thought, and I'd even done tests where, uh, maybe I'll make a a subway map because it's New York, so like the subway is like the uh, circulatory system of the city, you know. Um, and we we didn't stick with that. Josh was like, "Well, maybe we'll do a scroll, like a literal Ninja Scroll." I was like, "Okay, that sounds pretty fucking cool, too." An uh, idea, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we we landed on doing a um, we had Chloe Chef come on, like who's our uh, design partner on Lab. Like the, actually the third issue of Lab um, is uh, Chloe and Natalie, my, my partners um, helped with that. And Chloe from that project um, is working on the Scratonin book. And like, yeah, we decided to go with this uh, accordion style um, presentation. And it's like, it's almost, you get maybe four screens at a time and then you can flip. You can get the entire thing if, you, if you're if you ambitious. <laughs> 400 right. feet of comics. Right. <laughs> I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You could do that. Um,
1: and I there has not. to
0: be some, some stunt promo of that stuff. Like, that's bigger <laughs> than a football field. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, lay yeah. that thing out goalpost to, or beyond huh. goalpost to goalpost.
1: Oh, man. The, yeah, uh, we're going it, to, it's going to be a group. It would be a group endeavor because to hold that down, all it takes is one gust to win.
0: <laughs> yeah, the uh, that accordion format, you don't see it a lot. Um, I, I have a book, uh, I think it's Elvis Road had done one in the early 2000s, mm. and, uh, it, but it's it's nowhere near 400 feet. You know, it's probably 20-something. I think Joe Sacco did one at, at, uh, within the last 10 or 15 years, probably with D&Q or fanographics but it's not something you see that often. But on the scale of 400 feet, like... I'm surprised. Well, that's a little bit surprised. That's even possible or feasible. That's kind of amazing.
1: Sound well, well, Jim. Okay, Josh. Josh presents it in a in in a in a way that is maybe a bit misleading because there are there are at least eight episodes, right? So it's broken up. You know what I mean? Like it's not eight hundred continue. You okay. know, like it's not. You know, for, yeah. For, no, no, no. That's ridiculous. Like, um, I one of my uh design problems to solve or like one of the ethics that i have is i want things to be readable easily you know like um there are a lot of comics that are kind of cool and format um that i don't even read very much you know like i think one of the things about the so if i'm translating a webtoon to uh print then i feel like one of the things that's unique about the webtoon format is the ease of reading it Right, so um, maybe even more, in some ways, competitive with a paper comic. Right, the difference is a paper comic. Um, I think embodies a type of spatial, time movement that you know it's. I've yet to see a web comic do. It's like when you can pick up a paper comic and you can look at the first and the last page of the comic at, at the same time. <laughs> you know, like flipping through a comic is like that's unique to a book, right? Um, And this has that, uh, uh, but also I I needed for it to be, I didn't want it to be too unwieldy as to, you know, to sum it up. So yeah, I thought of your, uh, your map description and, you know, like you always (laughs) see people with
0: atlases and they can't fold them back up. Right. And if this were one continuous piece, right. I I can imagine it being in piles, uh, you know, next to people's beds or coffee tables.
1: Yeah, no, that's the one thing I, that's what I don't want as much as, Beehive is great at making beautiful objects like that you can read. I wanted something that um, was kind of more seductive. Like it it invited you to read. Like one of the things I love about comics that I think, you you know, as the prospectors changed the market as like people started to collect and, you know it changed a bit was like, yeah, no, you get a comic. There's so many of them. They're made on pulp, you know, like they're, you know roll it up put it in your back pocket you get it in a little bubble gum you know like they're everywhere you know like that's what I love about comics like I love that that accessibility and so while this is a beautiful object in and of itself um it is also approachable like it was just very important to me for a comic to be approachable like I used to go into um I would go into uh Forbidden Planet uh in New York City and sometimes I would go in and get a comic book and then when they would ask me to bag and board it, I'd say, no, I'm okay. And then I would roll it up and put it in my back pocket. Just like, <laughs> just to fuck with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, that's my approach. Gratin is maybe difficult to roll up and put in your back pocket, but like, you know, I mean, I hope people read it.
0: Yeah. It's a, uh, it, it's a pretty exciting experiment. Like I love that formal you know, the design objects, the beautiful objects, as you say, with these different books. And uh, I'm excited for that part of it. But it's also interesting, like I saw, um, you were in Columbus, you had an exhibition Mm -hmm. with some of those early Gratinin pages, Mm -hmm. and you had like the vertical, you know, what you're describing whenever you transition to drawing it basically Mm -hmm. for the screen. And -hmm. I can remember seeing those columns, you know, like, like several columns on a page. And it's interesting to think of like, how does that translate into a book? Like, Mm -hmm. I find books are even a weird technology at this point because i have students who make comics and it's almost all on screen but then they'll they'll format them where they're like pages in a spread but Mm. if you're reading it on screen on an ipad or something it's this weird thing where it's like read half the page and then go up and read the other half of the page because it's it's not a book it's not bound why do we have a you know why do we have this weird divide but if you adapt you know almost the way you drew your originals you could almost imagine like several columns across Mm -hmm. like a traditional page spread because Mm -hmm. why not
1: you know like Mm -hmm. the page is already a strange format in today's world yeah yeah i mean well so that was a you know man jim like uh for me format is like i don't know it's the most it's one of the most important things in how i think about like maybe even when i'm writing a story like format shapes story for me, you know, like pacing, uh, you know, um, my approach to the story. So like, I think, um, one, I was naive at the very beginning of drawing Grattan Um, And we could get into this. Grattan has always been kind of like a way for me to explore the form of comics because um, originally, yeah, so to go back a little bit, um, I don't know which way I want to do it. Let me finish the first thought. <laughs> so when I approached the um, the comic and drew them as pages, I uh, I started to realize shortly after a while that my thinking, um, doing it in the in the page way and then translating it to the screen was kind of uh, it was a step in between that was kind of like maybe working against the the way of thinking that the infinite scroll the way I needed to think about that and once I started to think about uh how to translate directly my practice which is on paper you know I'm not working native to the screen either it's not like I'm drawing on a little screen like probably that would be the best way to draw infinite scroll comics right is if you had a giant kind of iphone shaped thing and you just drew on it right (laughs) you know um but I had to do the next best thing and like also thinking about materials and not being wasteful. Uh, I eventually got to that um, setup that you saw in the museum. By the way, there was an in-between step, too, when I was just drawing on loose leaf sheets of paper and then putting them together um, digitally. You know, uh, but eventually I got to that very <laughs> You know, kind of evolved into that. And um, I think if I were to present the way I'm working is also, I'm not working like uh, spatially laterally, you know, probably to keep my hands clean and to keep everything together. I'm also working like this. So I think my practice started to kind of, I don't know, uh, reflect what the final uh, way of viewing the comic was. Um, And also something that I feel if you're a comic book artist, you can't forget um uh, working on paper in that way and kind of like seeing it finished like that was also pleasurable for me you know like because you know it's a continuum of pleasure right like it has to be pleasurable for me I refuse to make it unpleasurable (laughs) for me to do the work right like so while it can be difficult drawing can be um demoralizing sometimes (laughs) like uh I made something, I made it so that there's, there were, there's pleasure all the way through to the end, you know? man. I have a lot to, uh, a
0: lot to unpack there. Uh, The the first thing I'll add is I always think like whatever format you're working in, like if you're doing a daily strip, if you're doing comic books, we just talked at Brubaker and he was talking about writing graphic novels, you know, like switching from comic books to graphic novels and how there were adjustments there. But I feel like whatever it is you do, you end up starting to like filter, I don't know, thought processes or experiences or, you know, kind of break down ideas in that format. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm attracted to doing phone comics for that reason. It's another format like like you formats, very valuable to me. It's almost always worked out for me before I actually start on page one. Um, You know, sometimes even like contract stage, you know, you're, you're determining format. So I do think it affects the thinking part. Um, you know, and it sounds like you're describing that as you went along, uh, you know, really starting to think of the comic in that format.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I don't know, I, I like, if you were to say, hey, Ronald, make a story. Um, I'm almost like, format is a, format is liberating. Because I'm like, well, okay, how long? Like, okay, if it's eight pages, um how yeah like what's the size of the page like what can i fit on that page like you know when you start to tell me those things it's going to shape the story like you know um a project that i probably can't talk about yet but like that i'm working on uh i was given yeah like an eight page format i started to look back at the old metal halon right and you know um i happened to have an issue with um, mobius talking about uh his practice and like Kind of his approach to a particular set of comics he did and like he broke down just how he was it's a simple gag you know what i mean like you lead one way then you go with the opposite like the ending is a surprise right <laughs> like it's a unexpected thing And i'm like wow yeah that's that gives you enough you have like two pages for the setup another two pages maybe to continue like a um you know uh the the rhythm Then like a third it's like oh this is okay we're coming to the resolution then the last two pages is like it's not what you even thought you know what i mean like so and that's how i i have a creative side they're both creative one is more like a puzzle and the other is more like oh well yeah what are the characters wearing or like what's the world this that and a third i think in order to kind of funnel that second one into something that's in the shape of, of something that can be seen, like externalized, my imagination externalized. Format is super, I, I don't know. From, every, I think containers are very important. I think all of these things are very important. So uh, yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking about sake, like the quality of sake, right? Like um, how the difference between like sake and like a pint, you know? It's like you have two different things that you're going for. And I think probably pints aren't necessarily always chilled, right? So you can get a pint and like it, it's, it can be big because you don't really have to worry about things. It's not gonna go flat. You're gonna drink it before it goes flat. It's not gonna get super warm, you know, like um, you're supposed to finish it rather quickly, right? And, and often not much below room temperature where like, you know, sake is served warm, or it can be served cold as well. And so much of the, the point of drinking it is ritual around like who's serving whom, like, you know, um, and it's conversational. And, you know, like, so I'm thinking about how these different ways of drinking, sometimes it shapes the container shape or reflect the way that you're going about it. You're like a pint, you're walking around like uh, the room maybe, or you're at the, the bar, like wherever you're at. And it's like, you get your bit, the bartenders serving up everyone, you know what I mean? Like, I think comics is similar to that, like food containers all around our, our our lives reflect, I think the function of whatever it is. So, and I think comics are no different. Yeah, I had,
0: a, uh, I had a design teacher and I think he stole this from Milton Glaser, I think, but he would come in and he'd put a piece of paper on the, on the board, you know, with whatever problem we had. And he was always like, what are you gonna put on it? What are you gonna put in it? You know, it was like, that was defined really as like, Step zero, like before we'd even know what we were facing, it was like, here's what you have to work with. It's a canvas, you know, if you're if you're a painter or whatever, but uh you always have that at some point in the process. And the sooner it's developed, the more it can affect your story development and all of those things.
1: Yeah, like think about man think about um Andy Wyatt, right? Like you said it's a canvas, right? Yeah. Are you working on canvas? Are you working on paper? Are you using, you know, oil paint? Are you using, you know? Andy used the tempera, right, a lot, right? Look at how it changed the shape of the work. You know, like it, 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 it literally becomes the what you know his work for the style, the mark making. You know, I think it's it, it's it's a lot. It's like when people, I remember, or you see this often when people are like, this artist is like that artist, right? And it's like, well. They're using some of the same tools, right? And that's what you feel people are kind of connected to. It's like maybe they're using some of the same tools in the same way. Um, yeah, you got to, ch- I, I don't know, constraint is very important. And Grattanin started out as a way for me to, a constraint in and of itself. I'd just seen Arzak, I was in college, and it was my second comic, really, was a Grattanin comic. Um, my first comic was called um, Vandal Vigilantes, right? And it was kind of really inspired by uh, slow jams, uh, chose slow jams, right? And it was a bunch of talking. It was really rough, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, um, and so then my second comic, even though that one was a to be continued, I just completely changed, <laughs> changed up. I, you know, I was reading Arzak and I was like, I just want to focus on visual storytelling. you know? Um, I don't want any talking and I want lots of action. I was like, what do you think? What is what is a lot of action and silent, right? So <laughs> Ninjas, right? But it's gratuitous, you know like it's like, you know, um, the idea was I'm just putting ninjas in here for the sake of putting ninjas in here. one, and two, Ninja have always been interesting to me, particularly in the context of like knights or anything. It's like, there's no reason really for them. Like after the light bulb, right? Like ninjas, as we know it, like the the light bulb killed the ninja, right? Like, so there's no point, right? Or like, there's no point for these ninja to do the things that they were doing even, right? Like, so it became existentially interesting to me as well. Uh, to think of a contemporary story where ninjas were. At first it was kind of high fantasy, but then, you know, slowly that built into it.
0: Man, that's funny to think of ninjas as like the answer to, I, I just am interested in action. Yeah. I don't want to do talking. And they're quiet. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Um, Man, that's cool. You say that's, that was your second comic. Is that the hmm. one that ended up at Dark Horse? Like, uh... No.
1: Okay. No, that came, that was my... Dark Horse, I think that may have been, I think that was my first printed comic, but that was my, um, maybe, my that, that first run of Grattan Inn I did for the Static Fish was maybe four comics, like it was episodic. Static Fish came out a bunch of times. Um, that was like maybe the first, that, that's the first Grattan Inn story. The Dark Horse comic is the second Grattan Inn story. Um yeah, it's called Tangerine and it's about rooftop gardens, which is crazy. I don't know how many people, it wasn't a trend yet, right? <laughs> but like um I, I've kind of not to my knowledge. Yeah, um it it's about ninja who also silent. It's about ninja who um re-reappropriate or um they they liberate seeds from Manhattan and bring them back to Brooklyn like they they break into a sort of big corporate place that seems to have all of these seeds there and they bring them back and they grow it on the rooftop in in Brooklyn and that seems um, ahead of its time too <laughs> yeah yeah I think that was like oh2 oh or so yeah um yeah and that was for Dark Horse Dark Horse at the time had a webcomic uh contest called strip search and um they did a competition every month, and if you won, they they would, I don't know, I guess they'd collect it all at the end of the year, and they bound it. They only did it once, and like, yeah, that was kind of my, uh, I'm not sure that was before the, that was my writing debut in comics, but um, around the same year, I did an issue of Matar Halan. I did like a short in it called, um, I think, Overdose. I can't, I'm... I'm forgetting the name of the writer maybe i don't know if you can put a chiron on or something like later but i don't remember the name of the writer but i mean the story was great i feel like it was my it was maybe one of the best stories i ever drew that someone wrote for me and it was my first one right it's kind of like almost you know no offense to my other friends but it was like almost kind of downhill from, from there. wow you're like a savant hit the ground running were you always planning to do comics? Was that was that the plan whenever you were going to school? I didn't really have a good plan for art because I didn't have anyone around me who was doing it. So like I didn't I I didn't um, I hadn't planned to do comics. Um, I didn't even know I didn't know how it worked. Um, I would probably say that um, reading THB, like um, I had I had comics before, but like when I got to Pratt maybe around sophomore, uh, junior year. I don't know when his giant size THB came out, but I picked it up in um, um, Jim Hanley's. It used to be uh, in Mid uh, Midtown, um, not Midtown, but like the 30s. It used to be like right under uh, the Empire State Building. Um, so I, uh, I picked it up and there was this one THB with Paul in it and he's like, drawing on the floor or something like he's just looking really cool <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like oh okay so this is maybe a, a pathway to art you know it's like I've seen other fine artists like doing a similar type of thing and you're like wow this is the life you know like they're in their studio making you know like that Cy Twombly you know sitting there with like his work up. you're like okay I could do that right um and seeing Paul I was like oh okay it's like being a comic book artist is like being a rock star <laughs> not not though right i mean for not for nothing maybe for me kind of right but like not for everybody it's not the it's not really right um and so i was kind of taken with that maybe as a junior it became that spectacle which is kind of like a deceitful spectacle um i i i thought okay yeah i'll do comics i was in school for illustration i was never really excited about doing illustration professionally like um and not It was kind of the twilight of illustration really or at least a certain type of illustration like the late 90s early 2000s um magazines were kind of going under um what my assignments at pratt were awful it's like oh let's do this assignment on make a cartoon about monica Lewinsky, and like you know everybody's coming in with like cigars and like rude humor and i'm like is this like the pinnacle like is this what i'm Is this what I'm going to do? It's like, I have no interest in doing this, right? Um, I started out in art direction. So I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to do advertising. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, let me go into illustration. And I was like, oh, I'm going to end up doing like these really kind of boring, (laughs) like the most basic solutions. I want to tell stories. So, and then comics was just like, and THB was just like, and I was like, okay, fuck it. Yeah, I'll I'll be a cartoonist. I'll make my money doing that. Did you grow up reading comics? Um, I, re- I grew up reading my friends' comics. <laughs> like uh, uh, a buddy of mine, John David Carling, who's an architect now, he put me on to comics and like his mom would take us to the comic book store or whatever. And I was really big into anime. So that's when I started to get into manga. You know, like I, I went to the comic book store and it's like, oh, should they have, they have, oh, they have like, um, They have like tank police or whatever. It's like, they have the manga here for that. It's like, so I started Appleseed. So I started to pick that up. That's when I picked up Domu and like Domu was like, right. Grendel was really big for me. Like Grendel, it's like, I didn't really like any of the the only Batman comic that I really liked was uh, um, the Frank Miller Dark Knight comic. But then when I saw Grendel, you know, versus Batman, I was like okay this is my speed this shit is dope like it's kind of sexy it's kind of who's this grendel guy like i like him more than batman (laughs) You (laughs) you know like so um i i had i had moments here and there and then like maybe in when i was a senior in high school or maybe junior i got started to get the non books like the jordan crane joints and like yeah i was like okay i like this is weird i don't like everything in this but like it's everything is unique and like that in and of itself is nice like there was the girl on the cover with the tv there whatever I was like this is cute you know it's kind of funky it's got like almost kind of street it's got a street quality you know like it's got it's got this sort of ineffable quality of comics that's like intimate because it's just like one person's vision or something and like I think that stuck out to me while I was engaged in the superhero stuff because I love the Capcom games. Like I love the Konami joints. Like I had the Spider-Man pajamas. Like I love Spider-Man as a character. I think as comics, a whole different type of comic is what, you know, like I almost, almost didn't experience those as comics first. You know, like I experienced them as like IPs and brands. Right.
0: Yeah, I kind of have that experience because uh, n- now that I'm doing this Hulk book, I get asked about Hulk all the time. And it's like, I had like Hulk, bowls and cups and stuff right long before i had Hulk <laughs> comics you know like i was six right. year old I didn't, I didn't have any comic books but i knew hulk just because he was right. on stuff that i would see every day did you yes, watch the tv very sure. strange yeah yeah that's that's it you know it's like there's tv there's cartoons there are you know cups and things there's all this hulk stuff before i get to like a hulk comic book and right. it's like oh okay this this is great <laughs> i've been looking for this my whole life didn't realize it yeah, it's very strange how that and I mean, it's got to be worse now, you know, with or greater now, whatever it is, like, people must see this stuff far more in every format, except right. comics, right. Um, you know, you almost have to seek that out now, if you want to track it down. The anime is is interesting in, like, that seems like a big influence in your art. You know, I, I think of things like, like Aeon Flux was big for me. Oh, and so me when too. I see your work, I see that that, that yeah. one, super dynamic foreshortening, amazing figure work but I see that in other anime too. So, you know, if you're an anime fan, you you can find
1: examples of that there as well. Um, but no, Jim, I'm like, you know, I, I'm on, you know, like I, I give money to Peter on his uh, Patreon too. Like, I mean, almost as just like a, almost as a, like deference, like I feel like I owe him for who, you know, like who I've become, you know what I mean? Like, I think, nothing was probably more formative to me in my youth than eon flux was you know what I mean like in terms of just everything about it like visually certainly but also the fact that like no answers are given like it's just you know this is this is something this is material for you to kind of like it's a whetstone for your imagination you know what I mean like it's not it's not like a plot that you need to know and whatever. It's was like no these are ideas presented to you in a very interesting way and then you know your imagination can run wild it's closer to he's is what he gave us was closer to like I think a toy than like a I don't know some sort of a narrative right <laughs> like it's something fun to kind of think about you know like each one is a little idea the shorts you know in liquid television um like a haiku or something yeah, you know, like a you just cup, left with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to. You meant, you said something that was interesting about all of the. You know, you mentioned cups a couple of times, which makes me think you must have a Hulk cup somewhere in your. In your... Only in my <laughs> imagination. It's, oh, yeah. it's long gone physically, <laughs> right. but right. you know,
0: it, it, I, I had it when I was six, and like I used to remember like certain stuff registers different whenever you're six, seven, eight. You know, you don't have much experience. Like, like one year, Voltron was like my morning cartoon. You know, before school, that was what was on every morning. And it's like branded in my head or something, because like for an entire year, that's what I watched every single day. There was a year where I, ate, you know, cereal and drank orange juice out of Hulk branded <laughs> cup and bowl, uh, you know, yeah. and it was at a formative time. So that's why it's so vivid in my head, just because like I'm six, what else is going on? You know, it's like, <laughs> you're smashing that cereal. That's
1: what it yes. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. But to that point, um, when we started working on Gratin, so like that's my understanding of Gratin is sort of like a, a poppier version of something that I that I would do. I guess I'm always thinking about the pop. Um, I think when you say pop, thing, do you yeah. is, is is that is that like a commercial? Is there a commercial implication whenever you say that? Uh, yes, I think Inherent is a commercial uh, because for the you know what in our world, what could be popular without its sort of connection to um, the commercial, you know? Um, I think it's weird, man. Like one of the ways I start to realize my age is when I think about my relationship to uh, both pop art as like, as an actual critique or like trying to understand what, what it meant because it's like our parents, you know, or like the generations that came right before us, for them, it was new. So it's something they commented on, right? Like Coca-Cola being global was kind of like, it was kind of new. For them, it maybe was within their lifetime that that became a thing, right? Um, And for us, I feel like, you know, we were born into it, you know, maybe even a generation or two after (laughs) that was happening. Um, But I think it had already been sort of like digested into the, into the um, the soil, the art soil, right? So when we were drawing out, whatever we're drawing out, it's like, oh, by the time we were born, someone had already thought that the comics that we would see were interesting materially as like indicative of something culturally that was happening, right? Like So our relationship to pop culture, I think is even informed by pop arts critique of (laughs) or like you know you know presentation of it you know um and i think for me that's kind of yeah like when i think about it's like i can't even work on any of these things without kind of dragging some of that you know that energy that vibe that way of thinking either as uh sort of reproducing it or kind of reacting to it or rejecting it i think it's like it's inherent in uh my my practice you know um so and with gratin uh one of the things that i was interested in doing so we have cards in there right because like one of the ways that i learned about x-men dragon ball um any number of other things was like the bubblegum packets or like little card sets, you know, like the X-Men was different. I feel like I got like little packages, but you can never get all of them. You know, there was always like that big complete set that that was behind glass. It's like, I'm a kid. I can never, you know, like no one who wanted that probably could afford it maybe adults at the time. But, you know, like I, I just never would have thought adults would you like who's going to buy 40 year
0: that? old men living in their mother's <laughs> yeah, basement.
1: You're Right. 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 But like, for me, it would have been crazy. Right. But you would get them piecemeal. And, like, I was never a guy who, you know, okay, well, back then we still had newsstands and, like, you go to 7-Eleven and get a comic, you know, so I would go in and get that comic and, like, yo, you you have, when do you have $5 or whatever to get, like, three or four comics back then, right? Hardly, you know, like, and then you got to think between that and, like, a Big Bite or, like, a Slurpee or something. It's hot outside. It's like, okay, so I'll get this one comic. You read the comic and then in the comic it's, like, um... Uh, read this and issue whatever, read that, you know? Like, so for me, um, the cards were really a part of the storytelling. Cause like you would get it and it would say like famous battles and it'd be like, oh, famous team-ups like Doom and Doctor Strange, like, wow. So that became, the storytelling became almost like decentralized, you know? So like, um, when I would see in the comic, it said like, read such and such for whatever, issue whatever, I have some shit like that in Grant, man. And I still have people say like, oh, well, when, where's those, where are those other issues? So <laughs> no. It's like, they're, I mean, they're, you know, imagine, you know, like, imagine what it is. It became part of the language of the medium to me, right. you know, like, and the cards are part of the language too. Like, it's a way to experience the story. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like, at least to me, from my position, something that sort of comes from some centralized, you know, marketing plan for me as experienced by me it was just yeah part of the experience
0: yeah that makes total sense you know we we often talk about like 90s like we'll read wizard magazine or look at those early image books the storytelling in those early image books are in the interviews like they're in the right. promos that those guys are <laughs> cutting and then like you read the comic and you think you know what's going on because you've read the interview and it explains right. everything but if all you had was the comic none of the stories in there it's, it's incredible. Sometimes they'd be like in an editorial page in the back where, right. you know, the guy talks about creating this when he was a kid and stuff. But like the actual comics, there was no story. The story was <laughs> everywhere else. So do you think about it, like, like in today's world, like do you see it as like social media as a place where you can mm. augment these stories? Uh, you know, you can add to them. You can you can give uh, little pieces or lead-ins or, I mean, it's the same deal as like the image stuff where it's like, it's promo, you know, social media. If you're posting about, hey, I made this or check out this character but it's also a story
1: bit. Yeah, no, for sure. That's definitely how I think about it. Like, um, I'm kind of a little bit off my game now because I've had like a, I had like a careful, uh, relationship with, um, social media where it's like, I dip in, I mostly just look at animals now, but like, (laughs) I, I felt like I was producing for social media, which is like, So doing exactly what you're saying, but like, um, which is okay if it's fun for me, but like if part of me felt a little bit angry, like I was producing value for like these platforms and not getting paid for it, you know, like um, that value exists. It's not that it's magic that, you know, like, and it, it, this is kind of magical thinking, but it's like, I am producing value, right? but it's like for whom right i know that's not 100 percent rational but it happens to it happens to play out that way right so um but even back i remember on tumblr i used to have like a gratin in uh tumblr where i did a whole gratin comic on there you know like um yeah like little little posts that are ninja related that like i honestly think it's a it's like a Patina, it's a collage, you know, like you're going down this, this uh, screen and you, you oh, the, here's an article about Shirato Sample, right? Like that's related to Gratin now, like, but it's also related to that, you know, like, so, and you're pulling at all these different things like, oh, here's a bit of technology where this person, I don't know, hacked, whatever, whatever. And it's like, okay, that's related to Gratin So like that becomes a part, a meta part of, uh, of the story. So absolutely, man. And like, what's more, and this is kind of interesting and maybe grotesque. Our our lives, like even you know the the kayfabe, right, becomes a part of like how people relate to and connect to our work. You know what I mean? Like, which is interesting. It it it's um. I have a lot of complicated feelings about it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you, you're getting into uh, some interesting waters there with the kayfabe. Like, I'm I'm kind of a believer the kayfabe is the majority of all of our lives and how we right. see each other, um, especially <laughs> in an age of social media, you know, like it's all kayfabe. Everything that we right. post is is some version of that. Even if you're trying to be as transparent and, you know, direct as possible, it's still there's no way to know that because you're next yeah. to everybody else who's kayfabing their life there, yeah. you know, living their best life or their worst or whatever the case is, you know, putting this this persona out there it's it's a strange that part's such a strange like the mystery of life in a weird way i kind of love that part of it but it is definitely like i'm happy that i have an anchor or a reference point of like pre all of that right because it, it, it i don't know i can't imagine it otherwise like if i were 13 or something and you know, now talk about showing your age. Here I go. <laughs> but, you know, if you don't have that reference point, like it's always just been that way where you're running like several of these different lives, you know, you're almost right. managing versions of
1: yourself all over the place. And that's, uh, I can't quite imagine that. Yeah. I don't want to, I'm not into management. Like I, some of the projects that I've had to do. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't want to do, so I've had to, but um, working on how not to, but um, I, I, I don't want to do that for my life in a way that's kind of, yeah, giving space to, I don't know, is it, you know, is it, is there a way to escape that in the world that we built? <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, I feel like I'm constantly trying to intervene and um, free myself from that. And like interacting with people online, I have a very ambivalent relationship to it, you know, like I, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping that the artwork and maybe even my own sort of um, antagonistic relationship to it, to the online thing becomes a, a way of um, contextualizing it for myself and maybe others, <laughs> you know, like, can it, can it be better? Yes, how can it be better, you know? Um, I mean, it's worked. So to, to get into this, like, it's it's given opportunities that probably, so for instance, like, me working with Beehive, like, it liberated me in ways that, you know, um, I would have never uh, had before. You know, like, um, I, I spent most of my career on the outside of the mainstream trying to get in, you know? Um, uh, that's a bit of a story, but I certainly knocked on the door a few times. <laughs> right. Um, I I you talked, uh we talked, I think, a little before um the interview about balance. Um, like, you know, I spent a lot of time doing work to help pay for my work in comics or me doing my my stories, my doing my art practice. Um and like without, I don't know. Instagram or Tumblr before it, um, without Kickstarter really, or other types of uh, crowd funding. Like there'd be no Lab Magazine. Like Lab Magazine is probably the closest to a pure expression of my work that I've actually had sort of from the beginning, you know, like produced in a way, you know, Prince of Cats is like, I had to work with editorial there. Not really. <laughs> Prince of Cats is pretty, like, no, but the, the, the adults were not paying attention <laughs> when I did Prince of Cats, right? But there are limitations, right? Um, hardly any. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I was never, you know, I'd never get a chance to do, like, uh, Spider-Man or something like that, you know what I mean? So, but with Lab, it's like, okay, people are who are interested in my work they give me the money to do something like unbound, you know, or bound in the ways that we've decided to bind, bind it, right? Um, and I think that would have never existed without the current sort of technological, um, at the, the same technological reality that is alienating to me often. <laughs> You know,
0: this is life though. You know, there's almost nothing that you can point at and say, that's all good or that's all bad. It just, you know, people, same, same thing, you know. And and I kind of feel that way about what we're describing, talking about digital social media, crowdfunding, all of these things, because you can find the evil side of crowdfunding too, uh, without without digging very deeply. Um, but I'm glad you bring up lab and Kickstarter. Uh, you know, I did a Kickstarter two years ago for a blacklight comic. And I came away with a very positive experience thinking like, oh, I can dream ideas now that I couldn't dream before because I couldn't necessarily sell them to somebody that was going to sign off or back them or you know do distribution publishing, whatever. Like there were a lot of barriers that Kickstarter removed. And with Lab especially, I think I remember us talking about it probably in the early stages where like you were describing it and it was this oversized thing. And I can remember just being like, internally shaking my head because i had done an oversized thing Mm. and i heard from stores i had a store email me begging me not to do that size like (laughs) it's outrageous in a way to think about especially if you think of this stuff as art Mm. it is incredible to think of somebody doing that being like please don't do this size and i kind of thought that when you were describing lab because it's just like man i've heard it from other cartoonists too that have done this that have gone outside of the size limit And that book looked like such a, that project looked like such a success from the outside, from my point Mm -hmm. of view. And it's amazing, you know, like physically it, it feels like even 10 years ago, that would have been impossible to sell through Mm -hmm. the direct market. Right. And the crowdfunding has enabled it to be like, people want something that looks cool. It's the sales piece that sort of gets in the way sometimes of that channels.
1: You know what, Jim? Like, I wish uh, Josh was here to talk about distribution and all that. I'm going to say something that's like really responsible and like, I respect you because it seems like you are, you have a game. Your head is much more in the game. My head is in the game and other, other places, but not so much with lab and this as like, I really, I really don't care. It's like, once I make it like, uh, you know, once I have the bread to do it, it's like, I don't, the truth of the matter is I make my money doing other things. You know what I mean? Like, so lab is almost, if I ever get any money from it, it's like, oh, oh, great. Like I got some money. It's like, I kind of done, I do other things so that I have a month and a half, two months to kind of like edit right. that between the work. And like, you know, the last couple issues I haven't done, like, um, no, the last issue, I didn't do a uh, a whole new comic for it. You know, the next issue I'm looking to do a substantial amount of comic book work in it. But like, yeah, comics has been really demoralizing for me in the sense that, you know, that format sense, like, (laughs) you know, I announced, oh, my God, it'll get out, I don't give a fuck. It'll get out. (laughs) But like, I announced a couple books at Image, like, you know, years ago, right? Um, And, you know, I continued to work, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, And so after talking about constraints, and like how constraints allow me to get to where I need to go. I'm going to say something that's a little bit um, counter to that. Right. Which is, yeah, I, I kind of pitched around the ideas like, okay, let's do it as this, let's do that. And I came up against some of the same things that you've described, right? Like, okay. So if you do it like such, only such and such stores will do it. And like, this is going to, the bottom line or whatever, whatever, whatever. It hit me so hard. I just, I don't know, like, I just started doing something else. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I will. All right, well, I'll continue to think about this. I want to make these works. But um, if, if these are the constraints, I'm just not excited about them. And like, I have a lot of other things begging for my attention. So I just kind of went in another direction, like, then lab came into view, then like, you know, the Prince of Cats thing, you know, like, you know, uh, all, all of that, like it got optioned. And then it's like, oh, well now I have a little bit of money to like, maybe just think about what I'm going to do. How am I going to pursue my art practice? You know, like, does it have to be um, just the way that comics function, like the direct market, the relationship to the direct market. It's like, um, if, you know, it's a two way street. It's like, ultimately it's crazy because it's like there's so many stores it's like I love walking in there I love seeing the people there like some of the nicest people in the community but at the same time it's like how much of it is there is it there for me you know what I mean like maybe there are those only those 30 stores that are like the types of stores that like I would be a part of and be in and you know enjoy what they have they have art books they have zines they have oversized format like those are the stores that I'm going to go to right so like and if that's not enough to support my art practice then like i need to start to think about how i can relate to those 30 stores and maybe other places and other ways of reaching out to people who are interested in what i'm doing instead of being like okay i'm going to let this whole other market that i'm just like in the ghetto of dictate the actual form of what i'm doing <laughs> like that's crazy yeah
0: it is i uh I think about this a lot, as you can imagine, you know, I'm kind of in a similar, if, if you're making your own stuff, like, you you know, you got to make these choices, right? If you're not working with an editor or have a publishing deal, like you're the guy setting the format and, and figuring this stuff out. So I, I do think about this stuff a lot. And occasionally I think like, I hate to complain about any of this stuff because I think we live in something of a golden age of a lot of stuff. Like if you really wanted to do something, anything, make a movie, make an animated video make a graphic novel like there are so many ways to do it now like you can do it but the flip side is like if you can do anything it it can sometimes be hard to do something right (laughs) because i have the same deal of like you know there's a lot of projects in various stages of development it takes me a long time between projects because you are pulled in all these different directions you know and as an artist like you're interested in a bunch of stuff do you do you find that that it's just like man life is short and got Mm. a lot of ideas
1: yeah i mean that <laughs> that part you know what i mean like that is that is what it is and so what i've started to think about is um i started to think about like well what does it mean to man peter for sure like looking at peter's career is like oh my god bro like you did everything <laughs> you know what i mean like you don't have to do anything else like you've already done you've done like several lifetimes worth of work you know but um i've stopped I stopped looking at it, I stopped looking at it as, okay, well, um, yeah, I have a, a lifetime or several lifetimes of things that I wanna do. Sometime in like my mid twenties, I was like, I, you know, I looked at my sketchbook, I looked at like the stories that I had and I'm like, oh, I have more than a life's worth of work that I could do here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like at that point, and like the clock never stops ticking. I started to be like, well, what are the different ways that I can continue to express myself In a way that is like pleasurable while at the same time like eating and living and like um enjoying the life the non-imaginary life (laughs) right that i have here in front of me um and what that means is uh being open to how um i can find you know like pleasure in my day-to-day as well as like um so with sunset park which i announced for image like well, what is the practice of making Sunset Park? You know, like, um, the practice is, first of all, years of shit that no one ever sees, right? And the value of doing that work is really just for me. It's me exploring, like, all of these ideas and finding meaning in those ideas, right? And then maybe you get something, <laughs> the world gets something from that, right? Um, the 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 value of it isn't in the thing that I make, to be honest, like, I I hate to maybe people don't want to hear that, like, um, I think people can find value in what I produce, right? And I can too, right? But the crazy thing is, is like, by the time something is in your hands, right, like the, say, the reader, um, Mm -hmm. or the audience, um, I'm done with it. (laughs) Like, the best, the only value that's coming to me after that is probably um, my relationship to the, uh, the audience, like, maybe they see something or they understand it in a way that I was unable to because of my particular standpoint um, or like maybe it gives me some bread so that I can continue to explore these things and that's our relationship right um, and I think uh, what my um, sort of motive now is to feed that you know what I mean <laughs> like and by grace you know like I have people who um support me in the ways that they that they have to help to give me space to do that um the vast majority of it i get from you know what i what i told another friend of mine ben uh passmore is piracy it's like um it becomes a game like capital will always offer you less Than what your work is worth, right? So the game for me is to get as much or more value from my labor than what it's worth. Like it's a game that we're playing, right? And if I can get that value, which in some cases is maybe, you know, like if I really win, it's theft, right? It's theft from my employer, right? But like if I can get like a lot of money from a client, then it's like it frees me up to do whatever I want to do at whatever pace I want to do it. You know what I mean? Um, And it's like, and it also frees me up to give more to like, say, you know, like with lab, I think, I don't know, I, at least for my part, I put more into lab than I get out of it. Right. But like, I probably wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't do like one or two corporate jobs a year where I mean, I I hope none of them will listen to this, but like I'm doing my best to like, you know, get as much from that as possible. Like. Yeah, there's a lot
0: to unpack there. I I uh, I go back to the very first comic I ever had published, like like Street Angel number one. I remember from the oh, time was I that me- your
1: first comic published.
0: Yeah, I did mini comics and stuff, you know, before that. But like the first one with that, that I had a publisher actually like. Print and distribute and everything. That was it.
1: Have I wait, 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 wait. Slow down, slow down. Have I read that one?
0: Probably. Is that collected?
1: It was collected. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's uh it's a uh, Dr.
0: Pangea. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, um but I remember like going to the comic book store that I had been going to for years, and I was, you know, I told them this book's coming out. I was so excited, and I get there and it's on the shelf and nobody's paying attention. And I kind of look at, I've, I've seen it already, you know, SLG had sent me my copies. Right. So I'm standing in the oh, slave labor story, graphics! Uh. looking at it going, well, there you go. You know, I had finished it six months before then, because they needed two issues done first. I was right. working on issue three or four at that point, barely remember even drawing this. And it was this super anticlimactic moment. And I realized like, you know, the, the, the reward is the days at the drawing table. And that's what I'm gesturing. My drawing table is like, (laughs) (laughs) but but those are the rewards. And you got to figure that part out. Like you talk about making the work pleasurable. It's like, that's where, you know, you spend your 300 days a year at the drawing table. The the release date is like one day, you know, one, one, one day infrequently, maybe every couple of years. And it's the drawing table that you control, you know, like, like once the book's published, it really isn't mine anymore. Mm-hmm. It's whoever buys it or reads it or, you know, pirates it or whatever, however they get it, it's no <laughs> longer mine. Uh, you know, like I'm done with it. You know, I, I, I mean, I have some relationship to it, but I'm, it's out of my hands. It's out of my head. Um, so I think that's common. You know, you, you, you sound a little bit like maybe that's revealing something, but I feel like that's pretty common with creators, you know, cause you're, we always are sort of, I don't want to say chasing that next idea, but I mean, our heads you know, you hear about like Jack Kirby or Charles Schultz couldn't even drive because they're just constantly, you know, having ideas spinning around in their heads. So I think that's pretty common. Um, But you know, the the point of like the returns that you get from it, though, they come in lots of different ways. It's not always just the financial part, right? You know, it can be the thing of like, this is what I've been trying to say for 20 years. And I finally feel like Mm. this story does it, or this drawing is what I've been, you know, trying to make work. Um, So Yeah. There's, there's lots of ways to measure that too. Um, And I think a lot of cartoonists, a lot of comic book makers do that, what you describe. It's like the corporate gig buys me X amount (laughs) of time. It really is like, I I hate to say it, but it's time is money, you know? And it's like, you, you spend some of that time in a way that maximizes that money. And then you get that, that cushion, that, that window, whatever you want to call
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. As I've gotten, you know, every once in a while, you may get a gig where you find you can, you know, maybe practice your, your art while also getting that inordinate amount of money, which is like, I've been, I'm on a job now where it's like, it's been fun. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning things and like, I'm asking myself questions with the work, you know, like I'm getting to explore different things and, you know, express, not, you know, like, yeah, express myself or maybe, um, I think, man, like you play it down, but um, we talked a bit before and I was like, oh, I think our works are in dialogue with each other somewhat. Like um, I I actually rarely, for someone who works in comics, I feel like I go back to the same comics over and over and over again. Like I, I look at a bunch of comics, but I don't particularly look for or even read a bunch of comics, you know? Um, but I do think over the years, uh, of contemporary cartoonists who, particularly ones that I know, like your work has jumped out to me on more than one occasion. Um, and I think like something like Super Mag seemed like, okay, well, this is kind of, I've always been chasing sort of like, how do you do something like, um, like Nan or like uh, Mattel Harlan, like maybe even not like Mattel Harlan, but something between Metal Halan and Nan, you know, like something, uh, that has all that, because it, there's nothing like picking that sort of thing up. I feel like when I picked up Super Mag, I was like, okay, this guy is like, obviously, um, trying to do something similar to what I, what I'm trying to do, right, or thinking about it, you know, like, definitely approaching the comics magazine as its own type of aesthetic, you know, like, um, if it were, you know, like, so instead of, like as if X-Men were comics magazine, right? Like I'm going to do a comics magazine, <laughs> you know, like with all of these different elements, you know, like, and I think, you know, you see some of that same type of thinking uh, with, I don't know, like building stories, you know, like some, someone thinking like, okay, well, I'm trying to create this, um, recreate something, an experience retroactively that comes from a different material world than the one that we even live in <laughs> you know like putting these different parts as part of an aesthetic not as part as like of a you know even functional all the time but like it's part of an aesthetic that you experience with some I'm sure you've talked about super mag and many uh a podcast <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> well, man that's through. flattering you know
0: I'm a fan of your work so so hearing that is 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 uh, is very nice thank you well I mean I mean I, I don't know and I could point at things that, that that comes from, you know, like when you're describing non and some of this stuff, the first thing that pops in my head is rubber blankets, you know, David Mazzucchelli's magazine where he was publishing a few other cartoonists and he was working through style stuff and production was a big piece, you know, like there's yeah. certainly precedent for all this, even, even something like raw magazine, you know, like, like yes. that was something I barely yes. got hold of, but I did. And it was like, what is this? This is like a different language, even though I think it's comics. Right. And it was the same deal where it's like production and, a lot of different perspectives on those pages and it just it just once you see that it's like you can't unsee it.
1: Yeah Francoise I've been trying to get her in lab magazine for like you know two three years. Francoise if you hear this um just say yes already you like <laughs> I always I always answer her emails like I'm always you know <clears throat> give me give me an interview. I think I think it's important. I I th- I feel like Super Mag um lab I, i'm hoping um these types of publications are also sort of they are they're bringing a bit of technology every time they come out you know what i mean like and they're giving it to people who may pick it up you know like our works are super disposable um often may even if they survive they they become so expensive that people can't you know uh easily find them or get them. So I think it's like our jobs to continue to bring that imagination, excitement, and freedom, you know, to generations to come. And like even in a way, like I remember in Paul's uh giant size THB, he did an article on um on um Hugo Pratt. <clears throat> that might have been where I I learned about Hugo Pratt, you know. Um, and I think it's just like a responsibility and I, you know, um I think we're just doing Uh, a service for ourselves and for the future to continue to kind of like give a little bit of space for cartooning to happen in a way that, you know, we experienced and even giving it space to be something else that we haven't experienced, you know, like for the future. um, I think it's super important for the art, especially when, you know, the vast, like the, at least in the West, the biggest platforms are not particularly, uh, conducive to cartoonists like it's dope that you're on hulk you know what i mean like um are you like how many other you know like at any given time what are there like two or three cartoonists working on like a big book like that you know like it's it's very rare you know like um so i think and it's good that you're given that platform because i, I feel like what type of people will come up to comics maybe do kids even read those anymore but like if a kid picks that up you know like they'll pick it up and they'll be like, oh, this this has got a different vibe. Like, this has got a vibe, you know, like, I like this. You know, like, this is what comics is for me, you know, like. I hope you're right about that.
0: (laughs) 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 I kind of agree with you about the, uh, I don't know if kids are still reading any of that or not, but uh, they're certainly reading some comics, you know, I mean, the all ages stuff is something that has really come back in the last 10 years and was not there whenever I was reading in the 90s and the early 2000s. man, I hope you get Francois. And and whenever you finish your interview with her, tell her that cartoonist Kayfabe would love to speak to her. (laughs) But I'll write
1: it down right now. (laughs) Um,
0: Ron, man, we are we are kind of at at, at our time and uh, it flew by. Uh Um, I want to point everybody at Grattan in uh, once again before before we wrap this up. It should be a live Kickstarter right now. So anybody that's been intrigued by this conversation, please go check that out. Um, One of the one of the comics that i'm most looking forward to and i think uh whether you're a format junkie or just a fan of comics and action comics um this thing's going to be spectacular so probably up for about a month or so uh but you can find that on kickstarter where else should
1: people uh what what else should they look for ron where should they follow you um want to plug your patreon yeah they can check me out on instagram like i put some free stuff on instagram like i'm i'm okay with my patreon like you know now that i um now that i follow peter i'm just like do you have to just, do you have to like set a new bar in everything that you do? It's like his Patreon is like the best Patreon ever, right? So um, yeah, you can follow me on Patreon. Like after uh, after getting off of this kayfabe, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to put up the some of the Gratin inks that I have up there. I think they would like that, you know? Um, yeah, it's just me complaining about things mostly or like putting up obscure uh, whatever media that I that I feel like talking about, you know? So yeah, follow me on Patreon if you want you know, like, but only if you really care, because, <laughs> like, I'm not, you gotta, like, keep it 100, like, I'm, you know, that's for, like, the, only the, the true, you know, like, I don't even want to say fans, like, people in the community, it's, like, I'm out here, you know, I appreciate them <laughs> a lot, uh, and, yeah, Instagram, you can check me out there, like, I think I will be putting news around, like, um, Gratin uh Lab, um, any of the stuff, uh, other stuff that I'm doing, like, um, I'll, prob- I'll be announcing like an, at least one animated project, probably two animated projects later this year. So look for me there, you know what I mean?
0: Man, we have a lot more to uh, talk about. You know, we, we, we've been talking to people that have these big careers and it's kind of like we just scratched the surface, but uh, yeah, hopefully I mean, uh, we'll connect again soon and uh, dive into more of your work.
1: Yeah, once, and once I, um, yeah, once I announce some of the animation stuff, we can get Ed on here, and we can talk about uh, <laughs> we can talk about working with Hollywood. I know he'll he'll have something to say about that.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's the best material to put out out publicly or not. But
1: <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks,
0: Ron. It's great to see you, man. Bro. Good luck with yeah, was a pleasure. In.
1: Thank you. It was nice talking.